The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the In The Pen Podcast. I am your host, Cal Nussler, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jay Crumpler, who came in second place in our poker tournament over PitchCon, which I'm very impressed <laughs> with, and Rick Graham, the newest member of NL Tat Wars. So, gentlemen, who we've had a lot of success since the last time we talked, and then there's me. So, guys, how you doing? Uh, doing great. I'm definitely excited for the uh, for upcoming uh, NL Tout. That's... Uh, Definitely, it was a bit of a surprise, but I'm super excited to to join that, and just excited for baseball in general. You know, it's once after, once the Super Bowl, you know, is over, it really does set like baseball season really does just feel like here. So that's it's an exciting time. Yeah, I saw you got uh, added to Tout on on Twitter, uh, so congrats on that. That's pretty sick. Um, I got added to Barf, so I'll I'll be Ooh. in the uh, Earth leagues now which is cool. Um, but yeah, other than that, probably same, but as you guys just preparing for fantasy draft season to start ramping up and, and getting my rankings all settled and pumping out some articles as we get ready for the regular season. Yeah. I got to be in turf last week, similar to you with barf. So it's my second year of that. It's a great community. It's awesome. So I'm looking forward to joining that again. The three of us are all in TGFBI starting up in two weeks. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if any of you guys are in Raz Slam. That's starting up soon after that. So there's a lot of draft season. So you're right. Maybe it's a good time. We should actually start you know, talking baseball and start working on our ranks. But we've got a lot of stuff we want to cover. There's been a lot of reliever news since the last time we had last spoken. So we're going to dive into that. And now that the season's starting, we are going back to our week schedule. So we will have a podcast each week. So we figured now pitchers and catchers are starting to report. This is a good time as any to start start looking in the player pool a bit. Talk about our strategies when drafting relievers. Start talking about initial looks at Rick's rankings and tearing those apart so that everyone who's facing him in tout can know exactly what he is looking to do. So good luck with that. But we'll start as always with we as we do with the news and notes. And the first news we want to talk about is the Actually, the most breaking news they signed literally today as we're recording this Thursday was 16. Matt Moore signs with the Los Angeles Angels for one year, $7.55 million. It's more than I expected. When I first saw that contract number, I was a little bit wide-eyed. So do either of you guys think that he finds his way into the closer mix? We've talked throughout the past couple shows about how the Angel closer mix is kind of a mixed bag. So do we think that he works his way into some saves or is he more of a, a holds candidate? I think 
originally I'm I'm gonna guess he's gonna be more of a holds candidate. Um, that's a lot of money though. I and I'm I'm trying to remember what they gave Carlos Estevez. Um, I think it was around that. Maybe it was similar to that. So I there could be some sort of um, you know there's just a bunch of names at the back end of that bullpen right now. I don't. It's really hard to pick who's gonna end up closing out games, but. Uh, Morris definitely in the mix now, and he's at least I, I, I like him as a, the best lefty in that pen over Loop, and um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a good signing. It's a lot of money, that more money than I expected, but uh, it's it's a good it's a it's a need for the Angels to, to shore up that bullpen. It's a it's a lot more money than I expected. I think that sort of makes sense why he lasted this long into the offseason being unsigned probably because he was asking for so much money, but I don't really see him playing too much into the closer role, especially as you mentioned with Estevez there and they have her get there. They have enough right-handed candidates that they can sort of handle that. And the fact that they do have two other lefties and loop and Quijada gives more the possibility of closing and the high dollar amount sort of hints at that being a possibility, but I don't really see that happening. I think the angels are always in need of more pitching depth and this mm-hmm. provides that. Yeah. I just looked while you, we were discussing that Estevez did sign a two year, $13.5 million contract. So more is making more AAV, but Estevez got more money. I, I do think this pours a little bit of cold water onto some of the late Estevez sleeper options that some people had talked about. Now, I'm still probably going to be buying in. He was someone I brought up at PitchCon as a guy I'm looking at towards the late end of drafts. This is my maybe my third reliever in a lot of leagues, so I don't know if that fully changes it, but if he comes at even more of a discount, I'm still going to be buying in on that. I do agree that Estevez is still the favorite in my mind, but it wouldn't shock me if more gets you know somewhere between 5 and 10 saves and eats into it a little bit, but Estevez still the, is the number one guy. Talk, move over to another lefty reliever who was going to be our headliner for this episode, but then Matt Moore decided to sign. That's Andrew Chafin. He signed with his former team, the Arizona Diamondbacks, on a one-year $6.25 million contract. The Diamondbacks continue to get richer in their bullpen in the sense of there's five guys that could possibly get some saves. I think Chafin finds his way into this mix, so Jake, we'll start with you. Where's What's your read on how Chafin eats in this, back, this save opportunity? Same thing with Moore. Do you think he gets into Get some saves out of there. Is he just another valuable arm for Arizona? Yeah, I don't I don't know if he's going to be getting save opportunities. Like you said, there's a ton of guys there. I think you could even say there's six there if you include the newly acquired Scott McGo, but they've really loaded this bullpen up uh, from top to bottom. I was very surprised to see him sign with the Diamondbacks because they're not really a contender, and Chafin is one of the best left-handed reliever options on the market even from the very beginning, not even just with the guys that are left. So I was very surprised to see him go to a team that doesn't look to contend this year in the, in the Diamondbacks. But I think what makes me think that he's not going to get too many save opportunities is that there could be an argument that he might not even be the left best lefty on his team, considering he's going to be competing against Joe Mantiply, who was an all-star last year, for those saves where you're facing the majority of left-handed batters in the ninth inning so i think that's the only thing that would keep me off of that and the fact that there's so many guys there and the diamondbacks probably won't be winning a ton of games i'd probably be staying away from chafin when it comes to fantasy drafts yeah i don't think for saves only leagues i think i'm probably gonna you know maybe take a shot on him and 
a deeper league, um, but probably going to stay away. Holds leagues, he's still, I think, I don't think this changes his value much. I think he's still a great, you know, sturdy option in holds leagues. The slider still, you know, still showing plus potential. And um, yeah, there's just a lot of, yeah, like, kind of like what Jake said, there's so many potential options in that to close out games for them that we still don't. I think Tori Lavulo uh, mentioned, he talked about it today. He said that they still haven't, they're not close to a decision yet. So this is going to be, uh, this probably comes down to opening day. Who's going to close games for uh, the Diamondbacks this year. Oh, absolutely. And we talked about, you and I talked about this at PitchCon when we were on with, uh, with Greg Jewett, an awesome panel. We talked to some relievers and the Diamondbacks were one of those teams. The three of us kind of shrugged our shoulders and I think we're going to be doing that a lot during the season. So Chafin, I think I uh, would agree. He'll find his way into the mix. Probably still not the lead guy, but who the heck knows? We'll we'll try and get some sort of answer that over the next few weeks, hopefully before opening day. But like you said, it's probably going to be changed 10 different times during the season. So, Jad Green also signed, since our last episode, he signed a two-year, $8.5 million deal with the Blue Jays. And as a Yankee fan, that felt like a little stab to my heart. It's sad to see someone I've always liked as a Yankee go to our division rival. He is coming back from Tommy John's surgery, so he will miss the start of season, likely be back around mid-season or so. Is he someone we're putting on our watch list at this point? I know we have a lockdown closer in Toronto, but do you think Chad Green has some value once he returns he's someone you're kind of monitoring closely as he works his way back and and holds leagues definitely uh, it's it's someone to to monitor and yeah right around the all-star break i'm guessing is when he we, we see him again so you know you're always holds leagues you're always like looking you know you're usually looking around on the wire for for options so you know mid-season comes around he starts working back yeah he's going to be a name to, to to look out for but i don't see him as a threat to Romano, even if something happens with him that, you know, there's still Swanson, there's Yumi Garcia, uh, Anthony Bass, there's, there's options there. Um, but it's going to be good. I mean, yeah, as a Red Sox fan, I, I hate, I hate this too, because I think Chad Green's really, he's been really underrated for, for a while now. So this, uh, this is a tough, tough signing for our, for us AL East fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he's really good, but I, I don't know if he's going to be, too much of an impact this year because he had Tommy John surgery in June of last year. So that's sort of, I feel like Tommy John recovery is usually like 18 months or so. Yeah. It's pro- he, he might not. I mean, we we might not see him this year. I know mm-hmm. I found as Cody Hewer had surgery last March and he's already thrown off a mound. And like, I, I feel like it's just 18 months is like the, the go-to but i feel like that timetable is starting to get moved up a little bit with you know i just modern advances i guess hmm. well e- either way i think this is more of a 2024 play i think yeah. he's going to be a really mm-hmm. big factor in that bullpen next season but this upcoming season i think the fact that he's not only going to be coming right off of tommy john surgery will only be around for a couple of months and will sort of be building back up getting back to major league readiness I, I would probably steer clear of this unless he comes out firing and really has all the same stuff he had before the surgery because that's also a concern what he what's he going to look like when he comes back 
Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. Like you said, he's been underrated. He's been a great reliever. I believe he was top 10 in terms of F war for relievers since he got converted to a full-time reliever of the Yankees. So he kind of went underappreciated, especially even by some Yankee fans in that pen as more people came out of it. But he was one of the more reliable guys out there. And we'll see what he can do. Hopefully, we get to see him pitch next year and just not hurt the New York Yankees. That's all I ask. So we over the past couple of shows, we've talked about certain guys we are monitoring closely to see where they end up. And one of those guys ended up signing since our last show, and that's Michael Fulmer. He signed a one-year, $4 million deal with the Chicago Cubs. And this, this has piqued my interest. I'm not going to lie. So, Jake, do you think he finds his way competing with Brendan Hughes in the back of the Cubs bullpen? Is he a fireman? What kind of role do you think he plays out in Wrigley? Definitely playing into that closer role. Not only because he's one of the better relievers now in that bullpen, which is still sort of light, but also because his main competition, Brandon Hughes, is a lefty, and there are literally no other lefties in that bullpen projected right now on roster resource. So I think if Brandon Hughes is continues to be the only lefty in that bullpen, I feel like they would like to use him in more of a high leverage role, allowing him to face innings where he's facing majority of lefties and allowing Michael Fulmer, who has history of closing out games and has a lot of potential in his arm as a former Rookie of the Year award winner to take over that closer role going to next season. And the competition outside of that is really nothing to uh, be scared of, like Brad Boxberger. I, I, he hasn't closed games in years, and he's going to be 35. So I, I'm very interested in, in Fulmer going into this next season. Yeah, Um Definitely a good spot for him as far as, you know, looking at potential saves, uh, save situations go. But if Fulmer himself, I mean, he, t- he took a step back last year. Um, you know, I'm not, he's still he's still only 29. He'll be 30 by the time, you know, opening day comes around. And, you know, it's health has always been a concern. But, um, you know, K rate kind of dipped last year, 22.1 percent with a 10.1 percent walk rate. Um, you know, whip at 1.37. It wasn't, you know, I, I was expecting a big, you know, his first full year as a, as a reliever. I was hoping he would really take off, but didn't really happen. Swing and miss stuff kind of just wasn't, wasn't there. So, um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, the rest of that bullpen is very, you know, there's nothing, there's no one really elite in that bullpen that can just run away with the closer job at this point, unless, you know, Jeremiah Estrada really, um, puts it all together but yeah he's he's definitely someone worth you know watching and again it's going to come down to spring training seeing how people are used and whatnot because i don't this is another situation where i'm not sure they're ready to announce hughes as the closer um you know for opening day i know we're not drafting yet but if you guys were drafting today it seems like you have a different view which reliever do you think leads at as we're recording this today who leads the cubs and saves is it hughes or is it or is it fulmer at this point <laughs> I'm still gonna go with Hughes. Um, I think Fulmer's. I, I I think it's gonna. I don't know if anyone gets to 20 saves in this bullpen, but mm-hmm. I'm gonna take. If I'm gonna guess on someone, I, I'd still take Hughes. I think if we're looking over the whole season, I think you could say Hughes because there's a big chance that Fulmer, who only signed a one-year deal, gets traded at the deadline if the Cubs aren't competing. So I, I could definitely be swayed to go with Hughes, but I think. For the first half, which is sort of what you're drafting for, Mm -hmm. for closers, you sort of want to figure things out for the first few months and then go from there. I think I would go with Fulmer. 
I think right now I'm going to st- stick on Rick's. I think right now I'm leaning Hughes, but it's going to be interesting. And I could definitely be swayed as spring training moves along. But we started, we already talked about a Yankee. I was sad to see go. This is not the case for this next guy on the list. And it's a Rawls <laughs> Chapman. Sayonara. He signs a one year, $3.75 million deal with the Kansas City Royals. Am I crazy to think that he is going to get saves and eat into Scott Barlow's value? I can't escape that feeling. Jake, please tell me I'm crazy. Uh, I hope you're crazy. Um, I really hope he doesn't get save opportunities there. It was already disappointing enough to see him get picked up by a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Royals, I don't know. I don't know what their MO is, uh, but I guess they like Araldo Chapman on their team. Nonetheless, I think Barlow is the clear guy to stick there. And not only because Chapman has like the, the, all the stuff surrounding him. And and I don't think anybody's going to be rooting for him. And because Barlow has been the closer in the past, but also because I think Chapman's not good anymore. I I know his projections are still pretty solid, but last year he really wasn't good. He's really been struggling with his command a lot. His stuff has been diminished over the past couple of seasons as well. And I think that's what holds him back. Like if he goes over there and he pitches to a one ERA across the first couple of months and yeah, there's an opportunity for him to take over that closer role. But I really don't see that happening with the way that he's been trending. So I think that keeps him out of the closer role along with all of the other stuff holding him back. Yeah, it's his his velo keeps dropping and the walk rate's not getting better. Um, and uh, the Royals have already come out and said that Scott Barlow is still their closer. But I just do think that it's worth because their manager coming over from the Rays organization, uh, it just feels like we might we could see some sort of timeshare here. It might not be Chapman, but you know, it's not like Mike Matheny was using Barlow as the as the closer every single outing either. So, um, I still think Barlow's good for seventy percent of the saves, but um, there's still there's still going to be someone else there to pick up saves, and even if it's Chapman, I don't think the under I don't think the ERA the, I don't think the ratios are gonna you know make him worth rostering in any any format really i mean one thing that keeps coming back to my head is that there's a report as soon as he signed that he turned down more money from the san diego padres because the royals mm-hmm. kind of promised him some save opportunities now that could all be no. media talk that could all just be you know trying to get him to get there but we know chapman kind of has you know the way his personality is that i could totally see him being a guy who wants to get saves wants to be the quote-unquote closer for a team and doesn't want to just go to a he would rather do that than go to a team and be, you know, a setup man, Josh Hader, if it was the Padres who were on him. So I think he does eat into a little bit more of the mix. I would still obviously take Barlow, but I think Chapman could find his way up to you know, 40% of the save opportunities or something and, you know, diminish Barlow's value, but still be the guy. So it's another one we're still monitoring. Hopefully I'm wrong, but we'll, we'll see. Mm. The final signing that we want to talk about, it's, it's going to have some intrigue, and it's going to be another one we're going to be waiting to see. But Alex Reyes signed a one-year, $1.1 million deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. If there's anybody who can fix this guy, I think it's the Dodgers. And we know the Dodgers aren't exactly a team that has a set closer. So are you guys, similar to how we talk about Chad Green, are you keeping a watch, watchful eye on Alex Reyes towards you know midseason or whenever he comes back? Yeah, I mean, you said it. It's the Dodgers, so that that definitely perks your your interest when you see someone with uh, Reyes's you know talent. So, 
very very intrigued by this especially like you said i mean the bullpen is i it's really gonna be between him i mean they have so many options that i i think we're gonna see their bullpen in july is gonna look totally different than it does to start the year and um it just it depends on which one of these careers they're gonna really like they're gonna resurrect here because they have a lot of options to choose from and reyes is just another one that like if they can get him get him right if they can get his his command down um yeah he could he could we could see him closing out games by the end of the year. I don't know if it's the Dodgers that need to fix him. I think it's a doctor that needs to fix him. Huh, yeah. uh, <laughs> the guy has been unable to stay healthy throughout his career, except for a 72 inning sample in 2021. But yeah, I, I really not excited to see what the Dodgers can do. I really hope they uh, can't figure it out. I, he's They're going to make him so good, and it's really disappointing. <laughs> he's still recovering from surgery, so it might be a little while until we see him in the major leagues, and there's uh, a lot of competition in that bullpen. It's actually become pretty loaded with nobody that stands out super well, but there's just like a lot of very solid, underrated arms in that bullpen. But obviously, Alex Reyes has a ton of potential in his arm. He's got really incredible stuff. He just needs to throw more strikes and stay healthy. And if the Dodgers have a uh, good medical team over there, I think they could turn him into a very, very good reliever. Yeah. We'll move over to uh, one one or two big trades that are worth talking about. It specifically impacts the Miami Marlins. They traded for two relievers since our last show. First, they traded for Matt Barnes from the Boston Red Sox in exchange for Richard Blyer. And then, just the other day, they acquired A.J. Puck in a shocking trade from the Oakland Athletics for J.J. Blade. So, Jake, we're going to start with you. Which one of these guys is now the favorite in Miami? Is it an incumbent reliever? With these additions, how are you similar to Arizona? What what do you expect to take place in Miami right now? Uh, I feel like Puck has got to be the favorite. He's definitely got the most potential in that bullpen. I think it's arguable with him and Tanner Scott. Scott's shown more in the majors, but Puck has that prospect pedigree that you don't see in anybody else in that bullpen. And then they'll be competing with uh, Rick's favorite, Matt Barnes, and and old man Dylan Floro. So I think there's, there's obviously some options there, but I really like Puck. I think he finally showed what we wanted to see last year, which was health and he stayed on the field the entire year and he's got some pretty solid stuff. And I think the fact that they do have a couple other lefties in that bullpen would afford him the opportunity to be the closer. And we, but it's hard to tell that they do have a new manager there. It's uh, I forget who it is, but that's fine. Oh, isn't it? Skip Skip Schumacher. Schumacher, Schumacher, Yeah. 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 So I have no idea what he's going to be like. Hopefully he likes AJ puck. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some competition there with the the new additions, but I, I think Puck is my favorite, mostly because he's got the most potential, but there's definitely the opportunity that they use him in a different kind of role because he's got the ability to go multiple innings as a having a history of being a starter. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the, the Athletics were planning on stretching him out and putting him in the rotation before they traded mm-hmm. him, it sounded like, so... Like you said, yeah, they they could use him in more of a you know what Josh Hader was doing earlier in his career, Andrew Miller, that little that lengthy um, middle relief setup option. But yeah, this bull it just crowds this bullpen even more. Um, he's definitely the safest. I think he's the safest option there. Like I I don't think he's gonna 
absolutely smelt down and, and not be on the roster, you know, halfway through the season. Whereas the rest of those guys, I don't know. Tanner Scott still has, I think, the most upside. If he could ever just figure out how to get his walk rate down to like just get it to like eight to nine to nine percent. And, uh, you know, he, he would be doing amazing things as a closer, potentially. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's another another one of those bullpens where I just don't I don't have a great read on it right now. And I think it's it's going to take time to, to figure out who's going to be the closer opening day. It's going to be another one of those ones you have to monitor closely. If it was that report, I think it was AJ Puck that they talked about similarly, like I said, to that Josh Hader beginning of career yeah. role, hopefully finds his way. It's nice for us to know at least that the whole stretching him out to a starter thing is unlikely not going to happen in Miami if all the good stars they, ha- they have. But who knows? One injury and maybe they decide they need to stretch him back as a starter. So it's something to keep an eye on. This is another one that I'm probably steering clear of with saves at this point, just because it's so crowded that there's no clear favorite, but saves plus holds. Yeah. You find that dominant reliever like a puck and it'll be good. I was very intrigued about Matt Barnes. As soon as that happened, now AJ puck comes in and that just crowds it a even more. So like I said, I'll likely be steering clear of that pen, but we'll keep an eye on moving forward for the remaining free agents. Brad Hand, Zach Britton, Will Smith, and Corey Knable are still out there. As pitchers and catchers report, at this point, I don't expect them to have major roles, but as always, monitor those names because an injury can happen any second, and that forces the team who will need to go get a closer. We have pitchers going to play in the WBC in the next couple of weeks, so an injury could easily happen there where teams then forced to make an impact move for their bullpen. So keep an eye on those as we get forward. But unless there's anything else missing, I think we're going to end up with the news. We have some notes we're going to get to with the Baltimore bullpen that we're going to touch on. We have a mailbag to end the show that we're going to want to address that because there is some some early news out of Baltimore. It's not looking not looking exciting for us. So we'll definitely want to touch on that as we uh, wrap up the show. But we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to dive into some draft strategies. We had a great talk at PitchCon about how we evaluate relievers, what's our strategy going into it, who we like to draft. We can steer clear. We're trying to get into just some early draft prep, early draft discussion. And when we get back here on the Independent Podcast. All right, so we're going to jump into some of our relief drafting strategies. So obviously it's league dependent, but we kind of want to get a little bit interest in how we evaluate relievers, how we're going to draft it. So in general, I know it's very league dependent. What's your general strategy when it comes to drafting relievers? You know, when do you like to pounce on relievers? What round do you kind of look to uh, draft your first reliever? You know, we'll start with you, Rick. Give us, take us through a little bit of your, what you, your goal is going into a draft to, to get saves. What round do you usually start looking reliever? Yeah, for it changes, I guess. It's a year to year thing, uh, depending on, I guess, the market and, you know, just what we are expecting out of bullpens around the league. And this year, you know, it, it's been getting like slimmer and slimmer the amount of teams that have a, a set closer that you can really count on for, you know, if you're in a roto league and you, you're looking to get 70 something saves, like you really do need to, you have to get one of those top, you know, at least I'll say top 10 closing options that you can just pencil in for 30 plus saves. And that gives you a good base to, to you know, go and find your, your next 40 or so. So I would be looking, I'm not going to probably dip into that first tier with Diaz and 
Class A and even Josh Hader is creeping up draft drafts right now. I, I'm definitely not getting back into that. So probably that second tier that's your you know, the last the remaining surefire closers that, you know, maybe they don't have the most dominant strikeout numbers or the ratios aren't elite or whatever for whatever reason. Um so those those guys that fall to like the 80 to a hundred ra- like range when it comes to snake drafts. Um, this year it's a lot of, you know, Ryan Presley, Rizal Iglesias, um, those tight ty- and Felix Batista, but that probably, he's probably going to get bumped down now. So, um, you know, that's that second tier of like, I can trust these guys, but I'm not paying a premium for them is where I get my first closer. Usually. Jake, do you do anything differently or you have a similar sort of mindset going into drafts? I, I feel like it usually depends on what kind of draft I'm doing. I think in my home league, which is a points league that limits starts, saves are really valued because closers can get you so many more points than would be in another league. So it's really valuable to get as many closers as you want. So that's sort of a different strategy I use there. But when I'm drafting in like a more competitive roto or head to head 15 team or 12 team league. I like to get somebody early on probably in the top 100 or closing in on that, uh, 100 mark. So like Rick said, somebody in the top 10, and then I really like to get somebody in the, in that third tier as well. So another closer between 100 and 200 or 100, 150, just to really solidify the top end and then sort of shoot darts at the end of the draft and hopefully grab some guys because there's there's always the possibility that you're picking up closers or guys that are getting saves at some point in the year you rent you always looking for that when you're doing fab or, or scouring the waiver wire so there's definitely more opportunities to grab saves off the wire especially right now where no closing situation is is ever solid so you, you never really know what's going to happen but yeah I, I think it's really important to get somebody early on and uh, I just I don't want to go super early in the in that first tier of, of closers anymore. I think last year showed just how volatile it is. I feel like Liam Hendricks and Josh Hader felt like some of the safest closers we've ever had going into drafts. And they were going as early as the second or third round because they had been so good for multiple years in a row and they just seemed super safe. And Hendricks really wasn't bad, but he wasn't as elite as he had been in previous seasons and Hater obviously fell apart after a solid first half. So it just shows the innate volatility of closers. And so spending really early draft picks on them is probably not good. So you sort of want to wait until they start to thin out and then make your move. It's just important not to wait too long because like Rick said, there's so few locked in closers that once you get through like 12, yeah, it's it's sort of done there. And and if you don't get one of those 12, you're screwed and you don't want to start taking uh, like three or four closers that don't have locked in jobs or, or have a lot of uh, question marks. So I think it's important to really get somebody inside the top 100 or around that 100 mark and then make sure to get another one before it gets to pick 200 or it gets really bad really quickly. And uh, uh, punting saves is usually not a good idea because closers and relievers in general can do a really good job of pumping up your ratios. And, and that that's sort of a really underrated feature. Yeah. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think I'm the same mindset as you. I want someone in that second tier. 
And like, so you want to get it early. I think this year it's going to be somewhere in the, you know, seven to eight, eight to nine sort of range in terms of just the general rankings, not looking specifically at Rick's ranks at this point, but somewhere around then and then jumping into tier three, getting up pretty locked in closer. Even if it's the last like guy who has a solid job or one of the top guys on a, you know, a mix and match team who we think is most confident in. I do have one guy in that range who I'm eyeing on and trying to get into a lot of drafts. We'll get into that at some point during this season. But um, similar to you, I want to get someone in my top 12 and then likely another one in my top 14 or 15. Just try and get two within top 15 that we're pretty confident in terms of getting saves, even if it's one guy who's slightly in a platoon. Uh, I do think that way, but and you talk about in the late part of the draft, we want to get some speculative guys. You want to take a shot on a couple guys. Obviously it's league dependent, but do you just take one sort of speculative guy late? Do you like to have two guys and kind of mix and match? What's your late game strategy for levers? Do you just throw a couple darts out? Do you just take one guy and hope and churn it quick? Or does it really, I know it's probably draft dependent, but do you have kind of a mindset of how many speculative guys you like to take? I, like to take a couple at the end of the draft like usually i i'll save the last two maybe three picks for um just yeah some darts uh at the uh closer or relief pitcher spot even if it's like you know i'll i'll take you know someone who maybe has no chance at closing out games to begin the year Mm -hmm. but you know they just have really good stuff um and they're in a position where maybe the closer, you know, isn't like last year or like kind of this year. I mean, Minnesota, if like, you know, John Duran's not the best stuff, doesn't mean he's going to close. But someone who has that ability that if they do get some saves, they'll be elite. And if, if they don't get saves, they're at least going to help, you know, ratios and pretty good K numbers, too. So, um, yeah, I, I usually like to take a couple couple shots there and. Those guys, you know, if, if things don't work out in the first couple of weeks or, you know, you really early on, you can always churn them and, you know, add someone else. But, yeah, it's I think it's worth a shot at the end. Totally agree. Um, definitely want to take a couple shots rather than just one because they're they're called dart throws for a reason. Mm-hmm. You're usually not going to have too much success if you just pick one guy and be like, this is the guy that I'm handcuffing my closer with or, or taking a chance on. So definitely make at least two picks at the end of your draft for that. And also I totally agree on the aspect of getting a guy that might not have any chance. I think Devin Williams was sort of the poster boy for this in the past where he will really pump up your ratios, get you a bunch of strikeouts. And with Hader there, he never really had a chance of closing out games. Obviously that changed last year and you can really have seen that coming, but either way he's going to help out your team or guys like that are going to help out your team just in the, the ratio and strikeout department. And I think that's a very worthwhile pick at the end of drafts because otherwise you're just getting some random Toby or, or a bad hitter. So it's, it's definitely worth it to get a closer or, or uh, um, a setup guy that's sort of going to help out your team and be underrated and can actually stay on your team throughout the year. Um, maybe without the same kind of ceiling that other guys in that department have, but it, it's really a, a safe pick. That's going to pump up your, your categories when, uh, when you really need help throughout the week. Yeah. I find too, when I'm taking those dart throws, sometimes I do do a, uh, you know, at times, like we talk about the Miami and the Arizona situations. I may this year take two from one of those mm-hmm. pens and just hope I hit. Sometimes I like to just take a shot on two different situations. Hope I get one, right. But 
you know, if not having much success, maybe I look into that strategy and it's something I'm looking into for this. But I would agree. I usually like to get two. Last year, it was a an Anthony Bender, Art Warren type. And I liked how neither of those worked out for me. So hopefully I have a bit more <laughs> success with that. And I would you know my affinity for Ian Kennedy and that didn't work out exactly well. So hopefully I can do a little bit better on those this year. But does the strategy change at all if it's a saves plus holds league? Do, they, do you push relievers off your board up or up your board, I should say then? Or are you more willing to wait because there's a lot more viable options? Where do you, does it change at all? Or are you still kind of a, have a similar strategy when it's saves plus holds? Similar strategy, but I think I'm, I'm I might be changing a little bit because it closers are more. I mean, in a saves plus holds, you're you're gonna get more consistency from your closer when it comes to getting those counting stats because holds are a little bit. They just you know there was one. I think AJ Minter was the only one who had thirty plus holds last year. So uh, holds are a little bit more volatile, but. I do like, you know, maybe it's a situation where I'll take I'll take one of those closers from that second tier and then just wait and then, you know, again at the end just you know, draft guys based on skills and just you know, hope that their skills went out and they get have a good role in their bullpen whether at least getting holds, um, but yeah, saves plus holds you definitely don't need to go you don't have to like get too top closers or anything you can you can wait it's you know a lot of the times i used to i would just wait until the end of the draft and then draft five setup guys but you know in the five setup guys who at least you you, you they have a chance to move into a closer role like kind of what i was saying before like if if they have better their skills are better their stuff's better their potential is a little bit higher than whoever the closer is now look for guys like that to uh to target late and you know, just be patient with them. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if my strategy changes too much in save plus holds or or in point points leagues that count holds, but I think it just opens the player pool up more. I think it allows more players to have a, a chance at helping out your team. Like Rick said, not too many guys getting a bunch of holds, especially compared to saves. But also, saves are so spread out that there are some guys that are going to go at the very end of drafts. I could get like. 15 to 20 holds where you won't be seeing that in the saves department. So I think that opens the uh, opens an avenue for different guys to be drafted in save plus holds leagues. So it's sort of just when you get to the end of your draft, you got more options than you would in just a regular saves leagues where you got to sort of pin yourself down to guys that are going to have good ratios or strikeouts or are going to play into saves. I think in save plus holds leagues, you've got the opportunity to, get guys who maybe aren't as elite in the uh, rate ratio departments or the strikeouts for guys that are uh, like clearly going to be the setup guy or going to be getting a lot of holds. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, I guess final thing we got, we're looking at this more and uh, a lot of us for a roto sense, but we go to a head to head sort of league where it doesn't matter if you get those saves. Are you more pr- prone to draft one of those um, late relievers kind of in the saves plus holds league where you look for the ratios or do you still want to get the, uh, the elite closer? I know it probably doesn't change strategy too much, but talk about your strategy a little bit with um, how you draft relievers when you need to have a reliever spot in a more head-to-head league where you're not specifically looking to find saves or find holds themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still might want someone... A little bit more locked in, head to head. Yeah, you can you can always kind of 
you know, you don't need to to worry about getting a set number of saves so you can can wait a little bit longer. And yeah, maybe it's just, you know, I'll not worry about save. I won't worry about saves. I'll just worry about ratios, whip and hopefully win case for the week. Um, but I guess it depends on usually head to head leagues closers, you know, it takes a while for them to go off the board. So usually I'll find myself, you know, around like you, you could probably get the eighth or ninth closer after pick 100 and, you know, that could be a pretty good value at that point, especially, you know, depending on what else is around there. I mean, that's kind of deep into the starting pitching depth and, you know, a lot of the good, you know, at least power bats are gone at that point. So um, still probably look to get one, but I'm not going to overpay, especially in head to head or even in points leagues, too, if depending on your settings, it's you can kind of forget closers altogether. Um again depending on settings mm-hmm. i i think last year uh in the the pitcher list staff league that was my first time playing a head-to-head categories league and that's where i really noticed that getting a closer wasn't super ideal or maybe not ideal is the wrong word but it wasn't super pertinent mm-hmm. and that like seeing just every week or looking at your roster every day the difference that uh a setup guy can make is really large especially like if you got like six starters you're making six starts a week just having a pitcher that can come in and throw three or four scoreless innings just improves your ratios so much and it's it's crazy especially if you have two or three of those guys that are just out there striking out a bunch of batters and setting lineups down one two three just getting like six or seven innings it's basically a whole nother start that you're getting in that week without using a start and it's usually with much better ratios and strikeouts than you would get from your starter. I feel like that's super underrated in those leagues. So I really found myself towards the end of the year, just picking up relievers that I knew were really good. Uh, AJ mentor, for example, guys like that Um, Diego Castillo. I know he was getting some saves, but just guys that, that are out there just pitching well out of the bullpen and not necessarily getting saves. They just do such a good job of picking you up in more, categories than just saves which is just one category so i I felt like that was sort of a a a cheat code in that not anybody else is really looking for that they're looking for guys that are getting saves because that's sort of they're trained in roto rather than head-to-head categories Mm -hmm. so head-to-head categories i feel like you you want to get players that are going to be impacting the most categories possible and i felt like that was guys who are more in the holds discussion or guys who are more inclined to improve your ratios or strikeouts than somebody that's just getting saves. Yeah, I had a similar realization when I was doing my draft for same thing pitchless staff league. I would get to a point where it's like, okay, Josh Hader should not be here or uh, yeah. Edwin Diaz or one of the elite closers should not be sitting here. I'm gonna take it. And then by the end of the season I'm like started thinking the same thing. How much impact did that really make my team? So that's kind of changing my mindset. Cause I do get to a point and even this happens in my home leagues where I'm just sitting there and I'm like, okay, I know I should be waiting on closer, but this seems like too good of a value. And I think I need to, you know, start looking at that in terms of, you know, I can keep waiting and it's just been a, something I've noticed, uh, noticed I've done my drafts as well, but any other, you know, just general advice when it comes to drafting relievers. I know we kind of get into a little bit of how we look at it. The big thing that's always mentioned is just watch the run. Don't get caught at the, Ending of a ending of a run, try and or mm. don't get caught missing out on the run. If you see the run, it's gonna have to adjust your strategy. But anything, 
else you want to throw out there in terms of what you're looking for on draft day, kind of how you spot when you, it's time to draft a reliever or just general thoughts? Yeah, just like you said, I mean, it's kind of you read the room, see where the trends are going. You know, if it's a league where you've, you've been playing for a while and you know people's tendencies, it's, you know, always going to help. Um, but I also think that this is, you know, the draft's important, but you also have, you know, 26 weeks, you have, you know, 20 plus weeks to, to figure things out in the waiver wire as well. So if you do miss out, don't just don't panic. And like, like you said, if you get caught, if you get caught at the end of the of ever run and, you know, the last tier two closer went, don't just panic and, you know, take Daniel Barr just because you think you need like a locked in closer or whatever. Just, you know, stick, stick to whatever your strategy was before that. And, um, just going to have to play the the waiver wire a little bit harder and, you know, put your resources towards closers there. Definitely don't, don't want to wait too long, but also, yeah, like you said, don't freak out. I think it's important to realize where the tiers are sort of where one tier drops off into the next. So, you know, when it, the, the players that are sort of in the same range are running out where you want to start thinking about getting one. And also I think just identifying a few guys that you're interested in drafting. I think this goes across the board for not just relievers, but all kinds of positions. But I think it's important to choose a couple of guys that, that you want to target. And maybe once a couple of those guys are gone, you go and get your guy that sort of helps with timing, but it also sort of helps you get guys that you feel confident in because I always feel like when I'm drafting, I'll get to a point where I have a tier of guys and a bunch of guys will go and I'm stuck with somebody that I technically have in the same tier and sort of rate in the same area, but I don't feel as confident about him as the other guys. So I think it's important to even shorten your tiers a little bit more, maybe not the whole tier itself, but sort of eye some guys, put stars next to guys that, that you feel specifically confident about, even if they're going uh, like later in ADP than guys ahead of them. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's definitely important to just uh, stay on top of, of everything while, while you're there and, and not freak out. Yeah. And as you talk about tiers, Rick's released his first look at the initial rankings for closers and his tiers for it. And we've got a lot to say. We have a lot of a you know potential discussion out there. So after this break, we're going to jump into Rick's ranks a little bit. We're not going to go super in depth. There's a couple names that are are worth mentioning and kind of getting our initial thoughts on where we have them, where they will end up going, and comparing it to how some other people view it. So we'll see what we think of Rick's initial ranks after this break. All right, let's get into some of Rick's rankings. As we mentioned, he released the initial top 30 closers, top 100 holds, and then top 100 for saves plus holds. So a lot of good content. You go over to pitcherlist.com. We'll have those initial ranks along with every other position with the launch of PL8 over the past week. So there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of exciting things. PL Plus, PL Pro, PLV, PL Projections, a lot of things to look at for the site. So obviously, you know, we're company men. We want you to come in, take a look at what we've done here. There's a lot of good stuff with pitcher lists going on, and it's definitely lo- worth looking into. But specifically as a reliever, guys, we want to look into some of Rick's initial rankings. So as we mentioned, we talked look at the first top, the top 30, and some names jump out. Jacob, I'll start with you. What sort of jumps out of you? Is there anybody who you saw where Rick had him and it just kind of went wide-eyed or anyone you want to kind of pick on where Rick has him? 
I don't know. I trust Rick's rankings pretty well. I thought it was pretty interesting to see Kenley Jansen so low, not only because he's been so successful throughout his career and has been pretty solid across the past couple seasons, but also because he's going to Rick's favorite team. I would think there would be a little bit of bias there, but he's all the way down in the middle of the rankings, which was pretty surprising. I think the rest of it goes pretty well. Um, I, I thought he spaced his tears out pretty well as also. Um, but yeah, Kenley Jansen was very surprising to me because he's really solid. He's got like a clear role there in Boston without much competition. I think the only thing that'll hold him back is age and, and hopefully not his heart problems again, but that's definitely a concern after he's dealt with that for the past few years. But I, I really, I feel confident in Jansen, maybe not being one of the, top 10 relievers, but I think closer to the top 10 than to the like bottom 15. Yeah, I think that's the fair points, but like you brought up age and heart problems, um, definitely factors. I think he'll be able to figure it out. But as far as, you know, the pitch clock's going to be an interesting thing with him because he takes 25 seconds, you know, in between pitches. Um, So he's going to have to adapt there. (laughs) I don't love the the ballpark fit necessarily and the division fit. Um, he, you know, the walk rate's been shaky the last, you know, couple of years. Um, it's really, I mean, this between 10 and 20, I, I think I changed these guys around. I don't even know how many times it was just like, I, I didn't know where to put, I mean, Fairbanks and Seawald. I didn't, I had those guys in pretty much every single spot. I think at one point or another, um, and I think I just have them higher than him because maybe they're not going to get as many saves, but I, I think you're going to get more overall value, um, as far as, you know, ratios and K's go as well. And, you know, Fairbanks has his own health problems, but what he showed last year is that he is a top reliever in baseball. If he's healthy, it's a huge if. If it wasn't a huge if, you'd be, you know, in the top tier. But um, I'm willing to take a chance on him. Then on Jansen, who, you know, I don't think he's going to do any, do better than what he did last year or the years prior. I think, you know, this is the second half. This is the second part of his career where he's a very good, pretty stable closer, but you know, you're, you're, he's going to have ups and he's going to have some some struggles, you know, throughout the season. And, you know, he's just not the elite guy he was, you know, a couple of years, five years ago. Yeah, I think Jansen for me is the last closer, either in the late tier two, early tier three that I'm certain has saves for his team. So he might be the last guy I'm comfortable with as my number one closer. We look, I'm looking over at the NFBC right now and you have him at 14 in your ranks. He's going off the board at, as closer um, 11. He's going ahead of Clay Holmes. He's going ahead of David Bednar. He's going ahead of Pete Fairbanks, Paul Seawald. A lot of the guys, those four guys you have currently ranked of, ahead of him. So he definitely drew, drew my attention. Like Jake said, because you are the, resident Red Sox fan around here, but like I say, it, there's some concerns, but just the fact that he is the locked in guy for saves. I'm, I'm excited. And one, another name we I've mentioned that really stood out to me is how high you have Pete Fairbanks just compared to where he's going in the industry. You are currently, you have him, you're your number 12, 12 closer. You look at the NFBC ADP. He's currently going at pick one ninety three 
in drafts as over the past two weeks. That is insane to me. And that's a big discrepancy. I'll say that if, if this is where he's going in ADP, Pete Fairbanks will be on a lot of my teams. I think he is one of those guys I'm the most confident putting as my as my closer to. And I think you are in a similar boat. So talk about what you see from Pete Fairbanks, how you know what made you so confident to put him at in that tier three at that point in the draft or um you know, if yeah. you where he's going. I I I mean, yeah, at that point, I love that as like as your second reliever. If you want to pair him with, um, yeah, one of those, you know, Presley Romano, Iglesias types, I think that makes a ton of sense and really is a good foundation for your relievers going forward. Um, yeah, kind of like I said, it's just like the, the upside here is, I mean, he's a tier one closer if he is a closing out games and b healthy. Uh, I'm more honestly more worried about health than closing out games, even though he's in Tampa. I, f- I feel like they're it's between him and Jason Adam. And then, you know, I'm sure there'll be a bunch of other guys who get a few saves here and there. But it's it's not crazy to think that Fairbanks can can get 60 if he gets 60 percent of the saves there. Um, he's definitely going to return and stays healthy. He's definitely going to return value at that ADP. And, you know, that's an absolute steal. So. I don't think that's too unrealistic to, to, to dream on. Um, and I like to, you know, especially after, you know, after closer 10, I like to take some, some chances and that's definitely one guy I'll, I'll take a chance on just hoping everything rolls. Right. Yeah. I, I'm also pretty interested in Fairbanks and I think there's multiple reasons. First off, I just pulled up his picture list page and Oh my God, yeah, I, it is all yeah. red. It is crazy. And he also finished the year really strong last year. I think he had like 20 something straight innings where he was unscored upon to finish out the year, which is crazy. Um, I think it was, uh, he got scored upon in his first two innings. So then the final 22 innings of his season, he was unscored upon. So he was really good last year after returning from injury. So he definitely has all the stats and he's looking looking really good. But I think what also gives me extra confidence that he could actually get the majority of saves out there was the extension that mm-hmm. he signed just a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So not only does that show that they have a lot of faith in him, that, that they're willing to give him money to have him stay around, but also because it keeps his salary at a, a set rate, I think the... Rays are always uh, conscious of how much their players are rate are mm-hmm. making, obviously. And one way that that can vary a lot is if a player gets a lot of saves and you see them getting rid of their, their relievers all the time, trading them, releasing them. Uh, it, it's, it's a merry-go-round over there in Tampa. And partially that's a big factor because guys get, increased arbitration prices when they get saves. I think the clearest example of that recently was like Emilio Pagan. They got him a bunch of saves one year and then they traded him the next because they knew he would be more expensive. So now the fact that Fairbanks is set, has a set price for the next few years, they don't have to worry about that raising because he's getting saves or whatever. Where as a guy like Jason Adam, who's still, has arbitration years left. Mm -hmm. He's still got the opportunity to have that rise rise because of the amount of saves he gets. So I think Fairbanks really just has so many factors there that keep him from 
rising in price and also the fact that he was so good last year. And I mean, he even Im- improved over previous seasons. Didn't his velocity rise too? Mm-hmm. two miles per hour almost? Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot riding for him right now. And I think as long as he can stay healthy, he could actually be really good. And I think the fact that you're getting such a discount in drafts makes him even more appealing because people are going to be scared off because he pitches for the Rays. So Fairbanks is a, a really, really interesting pick. And I and I don't think I would have been as in on him if he hadn't signed that extension. But now that he has, I'm I'm very interested. Yeah, so if you're in a league against one of us three, then you're going to have to pay up to get Pete Fairbanks because obviously we are <laughs> all very, very intrigued of him. And like you said, the value that he's at right now is just way too good to pass up so i'm very especially considering who we're going against you're pitching for a team with tampa and i know it's a tampa's a tough team to pitch for there's always the the mixing and matching but like you said the extension makes him very viable it seems like they're going to be giving the ball to him the majority of times and there's just a lot to like there but is there anybody else on the list you know in terms of ranks that it's worth you know as we get further down the list you start getting into some of those uh you know who the heck knows where they're going to be is there anybody Jake, that you down the towards the lower on the list that you want to you know pick at, or I know we're down the road, we're going to get into all all these competitions, but anybody last any last guy you want to think wants to worthy discussion? Sure, I think guys in the bottom ten of Rick's saves rankings. Uh, obviously, Trevor May jumps out at me, especially now that AJ Puck is gone. There's less competition for him there in Oakland. I think they're going to try really hard to get him a lot of saves so that they can trade him at the deadline. Who knows if he's going to be too good. We know he struggled last year, but his peripherals suggest that he was very unlucky. And I feel pretty confident that he's going to be getting the majority of the saves there. I also really like Carlos Estevez in LA. Obviously, Matt Moore is there now. So there's a little bit of muddied waters there, but you never really know what's going to happen in LA. Matt Moore's arm could fall off as soon as he arrives. So I'm pretty confident Estevez could take a big step forward, leaving Colorado for the first time. So I think him and May are guys that I'm going to be targeting as like dart throws at the end of drafts. And then even off the the saves list, I think guys like Yoandre and Andres Munoz and Sir Anthony Dominguez are just going to be way high up there, especially because Sir Anthony Dominguez just signed a extension as well. So there's a possibility mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that maybe they have more confidence in him over Craig Kimbrell or uh, Alvarado or Gregory Soto that they have there in that loaded bullpen. So there's a, there's a lot of guys to throw dart throws on, whether that's guys that seem primed to get saves or guys that have really incredible stuff and may not be the go-to closer, but could either jump into saves or just improve your ratios throughout the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, those are the two guys too, May and, and Estevez that are two of my favorite dart throws at the end. And like you said, I might end up with more instead of those black bottom 10, I might end up with more, you know, Andres Munoz, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Evan Phillips, um, Joanne Duran types uh, instead of just taking shots on, you know, Kendall Graveman or whoever we want to take a chance on in um, Miami or Washington. So, yeah, the, the bottom 10 is a little hit or miss. Definitely sketchy, but um, there's going to be some value there. Someone's going to turn value there. So it's one that's worth taking a shot on late in drafts. Yeah, Trevor May currently is going up the board as the 394th pick, and that's in the nice. towards the very end. So he's definitely yeah. that late dart throw. You look as you say, he's your favorite. He's going behind guys you 
don't like obviously it's still you know it's contingent it's all in the same tier but just looking at he's going behind Carlos Estevez he's going behind Kendall Graveman he's even going behind Craig Kimbrell a lot of Roger Chapman's even currently going ahead of him over the past two weeks on the NFBC so if you want someone late I think Trevor May could be a very good value like you said Jake you look at saves as, during the draft you don't draft for the full season at least for some of your later picks obviously you get to your elite guys early but as you get further down, you get some guys who know will get it for the first couple months. And Trevor May, it's Oakland. It's going to be, he's likely he's getting paid the most money as an Oakland athletic, yeah. which is just still insane. So uh, I think if, as long as you have a guy who's guaranteed saves even on a poor team, I know we'll get into it in a few weeks. Do we actually think he's the favorite? But at that value, I think there's a lot to. A lot to really like there. So we just wanted to get a little quick look at the ranks, see where based on based on his ranks, are there any values out there? And I think we have identified a a few good ones and we'll get into more some ADP discussion actually next week as we get into some of our favorite targets in drafts, some of our late round targets we're looking into. We've discussed a few here, but we'll have a few more names into that discussion uh, on our next episodes coming up. So before we wrap this up, we actually want to get into a few mailbag questions. If you want to have access to us to get involved in some of these, we're trying to do these a little bit more throughout the season. You'll get first access through the Discord. We'll post it in our uh, mailbag channel. You can ask us some questions. we got a couple questions through there. If you want to, obviously, you can find us on Twitter, but it's the easiest way to get access to us is join the Discord and join in the conversation. So there's some good questions, exciting questions. And the first one we kind of talked about at the beginning of the show, it's, we'll combine two of them. We got a question from Lil Piranha and Big Z on a Discord comparing to the uh, Diamondbacks uh, situation. First one from Lil Piranha is, is Andrew Chafin or Jay, Joe Mantiply the best lefty in Arizona? So, Rick, we'll start with you. What's your current read out there? Is if you had to pick one, who are you eyeing most out in Arizona? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I like, I actually like both of these guys a lot. Um, I think Chafin's, you know, I think he's definitely got a little bit more, I think, strike up upside with him with his, his slider. It's not to say Mantiply can't do better on his strike, his K rate from last year. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch how they use both of them because they're they're both kind of coming they they both used they were kind of brought up as left-handed specialists who only face lefties and you know with the three batter minimum rule now they've had to adapt and they both adapted well last year and you know Chafin the year before as well so um they've both come a long way i i think that they're the two best relievers in Arizona um but I, I guess I'm going to lean Chafin just because I, I like his slider a little bit more. Uh, I know Mantiply got a lot of you know out swing and misses um, outside the zone. His o, his uh, O swing was pretty high on his slider, but so wasn't Chafin's, and his, his, he's been doing it for a while. So I, I'll take Chafin, but they're they're both good. It's, it's very close. I'm going to go the other way, and not just to play devil's advocate, but I think Mantiply just has some more standout statistics um mainly his walk rate which was like the second best among relievers last year at just 2.5 percent so he does a really good job of limiting base runners which really helps especially if you give up home runs which mantiply does not because he gets a ton of ground balls as well he had the 33rd best ground ball percentage from a reliever last year at 57.8 percent 
And with the new uh, metrics from PitcherList, we got PLV now. So definitely go check out PitcherList player pages if you want to learn more about uh, PLV. But Mantiply actually had a 93rd percentile PLV for his sinker, which is very impressive, especially for a guy that doesn't throw particularly hard. He's throwing around 90 and a half miles per hour with that sinker. So it's pretty impressive that he was able to have that much success with that pitch. So I feel pretty confident in him. Obviously, he was an all-star last year, so he's got that leg up on Chafin as well. Um, I think Chafin's also moving leagues. He's he's obviously been in Arizona before, but he hasn't been there for a while, and he's switching uh, uh, environments. So I think he's got more to deal with than Mantiply, who's just getting comfortable out there. So I'll go with uh, Mantiply on that one, but it is very close. I think they're they're pretty comparable. I want to yeah, change my be- vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Jason, Jake's saying I'm going to lean towards Mantiply. And I also, kind of what we talked about at the beginning of the show, I could see Chafin getting uh, traded at some point in the season. Maybe that gives him more hold yeah. opportunities. But if we're looking for to clear up the conversation, I think it's more likely Chafin gets traded than Mantiply, and it might make Mantiply a bit more valuable, even in a, a poorer situation. So right now, I'll lean Mantiply, but they're both very good, and both are the guys I'll be interesting seeing what they do and we'll stick out in arizona for the next question from big z start with you jake is scott mcgow something or nothing this is one of the more interesting moves out of that arizona bullpen you know do you have much about him or what are you kind of looking at for for him this year i don't know i I wish i knew more about him this is one of those situations where you got a guy coming from overseas so you sort of have to wait to see what he's got over here we obviously don't have the same tracking data as we do in japan over here so you're sort of just waiting to see what kind of stuff he brings over he had a lot of success in japan so that's the one thing that's giving people a little bit of excitement. I think last year he had a 2.35 ERA and he saved 38 ball games that came a year after a 2.52 ERA and 31 saves. So he's definitely had a lot of success over the past couple of years. He'll be entering his age 33 season, but I just have no idea what he's featuring. I'd like to see some of his stuff. Hopefully we can get a read on what he's featuring when we hit spring training. So this is definitely one of those situations where you just wait until spring training and you just watch all the diamondbacks games. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're sort of playing at home out there too. Um, but yeah, that that's, that's mainly all you can do with this situation. I really hope he is something. I really love when guys come over from overseas, especially after failing in the States and then moving over, having a lot of success and coming back. I think that's a, a really cool storyline most of the time. So I would love to see him do well. Um, but yeah, it's really going to be contingent on how his stuff plays over here and what it looks like under the uh, Hawkeye. Yeah, I'm starting to buy into him um, the more I've read. So there's, I see there's been some comparisons to you know another guy they brought over from Korea, uh, Yoshi Hirano, and very similar, I guess, fastball splitter mix. But uh, Miguel's numbers actually were better in his last year over in Korea. So I, you know, I, I think that, um, he's starting to become, and yeah, I I just want to see him. I want to see him actually in a game first before I say, Hey, this is the guy to target for saves here, but he's, uh, he's definitely intriguing with, you know, everyone being pretty highly on him everywhere I've I've seen anyone talk about him. So, um, I want to see that splitter in action. want to see what his fastball looks like. And um, but yeah, he's definitely someone I'm starting to. He'll be on. He'll be on the saves plus holds 
list, I, I imagine, next time. Yeah, keep an eye. Watch some Arizona Diamondbacks spring training games. Like I said, I don't, I don't know too much about him personally, but I'm intrigued. And when you pitch for Arizona, we've talked about throughout the show, there's going to be availability. And like Rick said, I think he could play himself into that conversation very early on. So uh, monitor him closely. I'll say for sure. This next one is from Kuel as part of our Discord. How will the Philly bullpen shake out for saves and holds, respectively? We've talked about this throughout the offseason, but you know we'll get into it more as we move on. But at, as we stand here, as we start with pitching and catch reporting, who is currently your favorite out in Philly? Who leads team in saves? Who leads team in holds? Uh, so J- I, I've been saying Kimbrel's going to have the most saves, or at least to start the year. Um, Jake makes a good point, though. I, it's been like I've been thinking about it since he said it that Sir Anthony Dominguez now has a contract, so maybe that I don't know what that means, but maybe you know it's Philly. They just throw they can throw money around. They don't have to pay the closer, but um, still makes me think. And, and Sir Anthony Dominguez is the best. He's the most talented best option they have to close out games right now so i'm gonna still say i'm still gonna say kimbrell for now as for saves for holds i'll go with sir anthony but i think alvarado will be right behind him as well i think uh as long as the changes that he made last year stick and he you know he can the walk rate doesn't you know go north of 10 percent again i think he he's really turned it around last year and is one of the better lefty relievers in the game right now. So I'll see Sir Anthony and Alvarado right behind him for holds. And uh, I'm still kind of gut feeling says Kimbrell will have a good year there as the closer. I think the only thing that makes Kimbrell the guy to be the closer is his history of being yeah. the closer and also his history of being bad when he's not the closer. Mm. So that, that sort of makes you think, that the team will sort of lean towards starting him the year as the closer because you don't really want to let him get into a funk and then fall apart because he's doesn't like setting up. Mm-hmm. I I'm still going to lean Sir Anthony. I think that ex- I was already leaning Sir Anthony before the extension and the extension sort of solidified it for me. He's the best closer there. So I think the best reliever there. So I think even if he doesn't, close the majority of the games i'd still rather have him because he's going to have those ratios and strikeouts that most of the other guys in that bullpen aren't going to be providing and then i i don't think if i don't think kimbrell's going to be getting the most holds if sir anthony is the closer i feel like it's going to be one of the lefties probably alvarado i think he's slightly better than gregory soto though both of those guys are very very similar i yeah so i'm leaning sir anthony for the closer and one of the lefties to lead the team and save or holds excuse me. I, I didn't like soto when he was in detroit much and i i wasn't i wasn't gonna have him high and like holds closer ranks or whatever but i am intrigued with what they with what philadelphia did with alvarado last year i'm intrigued mm-hmm. to see what they can what they can do to change to get soto you know maybe put him on a similar path and if they, if they can turn him around i mean if they have him and alvarado going uh, i mean that's that's really tough in the back end with those two lefties we've talked about before it's amazing that now we're talking about the philadelphia phillies as a wow they have a really good bullpen <laughs> considering uh, their history but like you mm-hmm. said they have four really good pitchers in the back end there i'll lean like rick i'm still gonna say craig kimbrell leads the team in saves i think just because he's the guy who got the big contract no Sir Anthony Dominguez got the extension, but 
history and Craig Kimbrell being the quote unquote closer throughout most teams he's been on gives is makes him the favorite to me. But because Sir Anthony Dominguez is probably the best reliever himself out there, he'll lead the team in saves and kind of be the go to guy in in close games and that or not saves excuse me holds and uh, be the go to guy late to get out of the jam. So both will be valuable. Both obviously worth drafting on your fantasy team. But I'll lean Kimbrell if you're looking for for just saves. John K from our staff wants to know is John Dur- John Duran the assumed closer in Minnesota or could Jorge Lopez push for save opportunities? We got actually some news about him that he withdrew from pitching in the WBC due to uh, mm. I believe it was hey, was it hamstring uh, soreness or so it's, do we think that plays into it? Do we think he's ready for opening day? What's our read out in Minnesota currently? Um yeah, I I this is another one where Duran's role, Duran's role is not going to, he's either going to be the closer or he's going to be a guy who gets 12 to 15 saves and has great ratios and a ton of Ks. So I don't think his value changes too much depending on, I mean, if he, if somehow he is named the, the closer before, you know, your draft, then yes, he goes up to the first tier, maybe second tier, second or first tier. I, I mean, his, you know, he's talking about throwing 105 miles per hour this year. So <laughs> it's just like the sky's the limit for him. And he, no matter what his role is, I'm taking a chance on him. And that said, though, with Lo- Lopez could still be in the mix and worth absolutely nothing at the end of drafts. Um, he was really good in the first half last year before the trade. Maybe mm-hmm. he could he could get back to, you know, recreating some of that magic and could be a nice fly just a worth a flyer at the end of drafts um because yeah it's not going to cost you anything i feel like this is a situation where you're just going with the better pitcher i feel like that's Mm -hmm. always the best way to go here duran's clearly the better pitcher here he might be one of the best relievers in all of baseball he's definitely got some of the best stuff so i think no matter what, even if Lopez is named the closer heading into the season, I'm still drafting Duran over him just because Duran's going to snag a few saves. He's going to be much better in the ratio and strikeout department, and you'll have a great opportunity to steal that closer role. I, I think what you said about him getting like 10 to 15 saves, that's probably what we're likely to see, especially considering the fact that Lopez struggled in the second half last year. I think if he had continued to be as good as he was in the first half, then there would really be an argument for taking Lopez over him. But right now I'm going to take Duran and you know, who, who cares right now if mm-hmm. Lopez gets more saves? Cause I think Duran's going to help out your team more, even if Lopez ends up with five or five more saves or whatever. And you want to root for people on your team and Duran is just a fun guy to root for. He is dominant. Mm-hmm. His stuff is great. And as someone who used to write the nastiest pitches articles, he was featured a lot. And so I hope mm-hmm. he gets there, especially because I think fantasy Twitter may burn down if Duran's not the closer there and doesn't impact your fantasy rosters. But I, I do think it's going to be a 50-50 split, maybe 60-40 with right now I'll lean Duran as the favorite. But it's going to be interesting, especially with how poor Lopez was last year when he got to Minnesota. But Maybe an offseason can help him get get back to his Baltimore form. Speaking of Baltimore, the final question we have is from our podcast manager, Adam Howe. Who are some people we're odding in Baltimore with currently Bautista, Tate, and D.L. Hall all possibly starting the season on the IL? So, Jake, we'll start with you. Do you have someone you're keeping an eye on in Baltimore as of right now? If 
if what we're hearing is possible, what happens? Uh, I, f- I think it's Michael Givens. They signed him this offseason. He was a closer in the past. That was a few years ago, but he's got uh, history. He's got uh, um, the ability to close out games. We've seen him do it in the past, even in Baltimore. So I, I feel like that's the clear front runner, especially because he's a righty. There were some guys that were really good last year that were lefties like uh, Chiano Perez and Keegan Aiken. Keegan Aiken is a PLV darling as well. So pretty easy to buy into his success from last year. I think he's more of a guy that's going to go multiple innings though. So I don't think he's going to be the closer and Perez is the only other lefty in that bullpen. So that's why I'm leaning Michael Givens. I think last year Givens was not as solid as he was in the first half in the second half, but I I still feel pretty confident that he would probably be the first guy to get save opportunities there because he's the, uh, the best, the clearest veteran option that, that has a history of closing out games. Yeah, I would lean Givens. I just had a, a interesting thought though. What, I mean, Zach Britton's sitting there on, uh, he's, he's a free agent. I mean, that would be an interesting reunion, especially if they're missing, um, you know, DL Hall, one of their lefties. I, um, probably not some, I mean, actually, I mean, Givens or Britton, I, that's a toss up still depending on, you know, who shows best in spring training. But, but anyway, as, as the roster is now, I, I think it has to be Givens. Um, he's got the experience, um, those lefties, I don't see. They may factor in here and there, but if they need to lean on someone to close out games, it would be Givens. But I'm not going to go probably... We have to get, it's still early. We have to find out more information on Batista mm-hmm. before we go out drafting Michael Givens, I think. Yeah, at this point, we know for sure that Dylan Tate will start the year on the 15-day IL due to uh, recovery from a forearm and flexor strain that he suffered in November. Uh, Bautista is currently rehabbing from left knee injury that in the season. He's been on a program. Spring debut is going to be delayed, so we're not certain if he's going to be available for opening day. So it's a situation you want to keep monitoring as we get closer to drafts. You talked about it, Rick, that you might be lowering him in your ranks do you have an idea just you know off top of mind how low you might be moving does he go obviously we're not drafting at this point but is he off your board at this point is he just get lowered what how do you approach him and draft at this point right now or how low do you move him as we don't know for sure his health says with, with batista you know i think the concern is that he was shut down late last year with and and, and they've been saying it's a knee and shoulder and uh, injury so the knee is obviously not great. The shoulder is definitely, you know, a bit of a red flag. Um, I think he still stays in that tier. That's that tier two um, spot, but I don't, he probably moves down. I think I put Romano over him. He might be at the back end of tier two now just because, and this is a guy who's had injury problems, you know, throughout his career. And it, you know, that's why he just debuted last year age 27 28 so yeah i it's not a huge concern yet but it's not you know definitely not ideal um as we start drafting you know getting into draft season yeah modern situation closely like we said it's still very early in spring it's still early in these decisions you likely might not have to even make a bad decision but you want to keep a close eye out there before you even consider michael gibbons but if he does i think he gets into that uh 
towards the back end of guy you take late just to get some saves early on and move on. But you know, monitor the situation closely. We hope we have Felix Bautista because I want to hear that entrance song more mm-hmm. often than not. That's in the top end in terms of uh, entrances in the game right now. That is a uh, it would get me hype if I was out in Baltimore. I haven't been to a game there yet, but I want to do it for a lot of reasons. And a lot of one of them is to see Felix Bautista pitch. That's for sure. For sure. But that's going to wrap it up on this episode of in the pen. It's good to be back guys. it's good to be back on the weekly schedule. Pitchers and catchers are report reported. So we're going to have a lot of news to get into. We're going to have a lot of uh, excitement to get into by the time we record next spring training games will be starting and there's going to be some, uh, some excitement. So Thanks for listening for this episode of In the Pen, and we will see you next week.